Good morning, everyone. How are you? Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Thank you very much. My name is John Hill. I'm a little bit echoey. Maybe we can clean that up a little. Thank you. Um, you've never seen me up here before. This is my first time preaching at Capital Community Church. We've been here part of this community for almost three years now, as Robin said. Um, I've I'm probably more famous as being Ellie's daddy. She's the little blonde, curly-haired girl who dances up here nearly every Sunday. So I'm, that's who I'm connected to, and that's my, probably my claim to fame here at Capital Community Church. I'm also helping out with some of the men's ministries and, and some other things. But today, I have the privilege of talking to, to some of you. Um, I'll introduce my wife over here as well. She, she said, you're preaching on the end of Ephesians, you better not mention me in the part about wives and husbands, so <laughs> sorry, I just did, <sighs> darn it, <laughs> too late, um, but I, I'll be kind to her today uh, in, the, in the preaching, I hope, I'll hear about it later if not. Um, I have a son here as well, Graham, you can see him, sometimes he has a mohawk, uh, stands up nice and proud and tall, and it's been our pleasure to be part of this church, and, and today what we're really going to be digging into is relationships, which is why, why we're here, to build relationships. And what do those relationships look like in a church? What should they look like? What does Paul tell us in Ephesians that they really should look like? Because I'm a teacher, actually I'm a, I'm a principal at International School of Beijing, but because I come from an educational background, I'm not going to just let you sit there idly we're going to take full advantage of the opportunity today. Do you have a bulletin? Yes? Look at the back of it. I've given you a diagram, a worksheet to fill in. And you should have received a pencil today when you came in. If you did not receive a pencil, Will, do we still have a few? You can raise your hand if you need a pencil, and Will will bring a pencil to you so that you can fill in the diagram on the back. And I'll... If you want to be lazy, I'll, I'll tell you now that I'll give you all the answers at the end, so you can be ready for that. You know, in my, in my business, um, as an educator, it really is a relationship business. In, in the middle school where I work, there are 440 students, about 60 teachers, and as the principal, I feel a certain amount of weight and responsibility for those relationships that I have to maintain with them. And you may be in similar situations where you have some sort of leadership role and there's a certain weight that you might feel. We also have, in many of our relationships, we feel like we're following somebody else. And sometimes there's a, there's a weight of responsibility as a follower as well. And that's really, as we look at the relationship descriptions in Ephesians 5 and 6, it that's Paul telling us in the church when we're in those kinds of relationships that should be characterized by love, what else should they be characterized by? And he really digs into that and gives us a lot of um, interesting ideas to think about how do we engage in those relationships in the church, in our families, in other kinds of relationships as well that we'll get into. One of the, one of the things that impresses me a lot about scripture is how, I mean, we know it's true, 
but it's often confirmed by things that even happen in the secular world around us. In 2017, Time Magazine came out with this groundbreaking idea that said, if you have an attitude of gratitude in your life, you will be happier. It's like, yeah, Paul said that 2,000 years ago. If we've got an attitude of gratitude in our lives, if we're thankful for things, we will be happier. We will be more satisfied with our lives in general. And it's just funny how that works, how it seems like even the secular world figures these things out because they just are true. But we've sort of got the book, right? We've got the manual that tells us in so much detail how to go through our lives and how to relate to each other. And we can have a lot of confidence in the advice that Scripture gives us. Let's pray before we go further today. God, as we open your scriptures today and dig in and learn what we can. I just pray that you would be opening our hearts and our minds, that we would be able to think clearly. Perhaps some of that chaos that Robin spoke about, we can put aside for a little while and really be focused on you this morning. Speak through me, and may your Holy Spirit guide what I have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So can we get the next slide up there. Let's know the next one after that. We are going to be in Ephesians 5 and 6 today, but I want to do a little bit of a review. This is actually the fourth part of a four-part series. It's actually five parts. We keep calling it four parts, but if you remember back in March, um, we had another sermon at that time. Craig preached about Ephesians, and then we kind of decided to do a four-part series on Ephesians. So this is actually kind of the fifth part. Um, Craig, we actually have to, I owe him a little debt of gratitude because he's been coaching the rest of us through this process and having some really useful conversations as we've gone on. But th the first week, Cameron um, was talking about being ca called to be in Christ. And what he really talked about was our inheritance, that we're part of a family of God. And there are certain rights and responsibilities that go along with that inheritance that we have. John Wolfe talked next, and he talked about how we have grace in salvation and how that grace that we receive actually empowers us. We were dead, and yet we get grace, and because we have that grace, we're made alive again, and we are empowered to go out and do good works that God prepares for us to do. Brian spoke last week, talked about how you pass, pass on the love that we receive from Christ when he was talking about loving one another. And we're going to be continuing with that theme today. The sermon today is about being called to right relationships. What does that mean? What are the right relationships that God gives us to be part of? And how do we, how do we engage with those meaningfully? Can we go on to the next slide? The next, uh, yeah, th no, that one. Go back, back, back. That one's good. So there are four topics that I'll talk about just briefly, but we're going to really focus on the third one. As we look at um, Ephesians 5 and 6, it's kind of broken into five, four parts in my mind. It starts off with an exhortation to imitate Christ, to be like God, to try and do what he does. There's a section that I think is all about not wasting your life. How are you going to spend your life? What should you not do? What should you do? We'll touch on that briefly. 
And then we'll get into this part called right relationships. That's my title for it. That's not Paul's title. But we're going to look through some examples of relationships that Paul pulls out and, and gives us some detail about. And then finally, the last section that I'm not sure we'll have time for this morning is about the armor of God. It's a passage that many of us are very familiar with. And that's how the book of Ephesians ends. I have to say, when I learned that I was going to be preaching on Ephesians 5 and 6, I had a little bit of trepidation, a little fear about that. Because I know that in these two chapters, there are verses and ideas that are expressed that many in our current day and age would say are not politically correct. But I would clarify that and say they say that it's not politically correct if they are misunderstood. I think we can understand those things in a way that are, might be challenging to us in our understanding of relationships, but they make sense. We don't have to be afraid or to feel like what we learn and can fully agree with in these passages that it's threatening to us or the relationships that we have. It's actually very liberating. And so I want you to look for that theme today as we continue through this passage. Look for the liberation that comes from understanding how relationships are supposed to be. I think it's a theme that you'll see woven through what Paul writes and what we're going to talk about. You can go to the next slide, please. So these are some controversial verses. Um, but just some quick points that I'd like to make about them. Speaking the truth in love is not always received well. I pray that today it would be, um, but sometimes it's not. And it's really especially difficult when we have those relationship experiences that maybe were not characterized by Christ-like love, whether that's with someone of the opposite sex or with a parent or other kinds of relationships that we've had that where we have some scars. Sometimes then, when we go to learn about what those relationships are supposed to look like, it can be painful. And so sometimes there's some controversy in scriptures like this. But today we really need to have that open mind, have our minds open to Christ to learn to what, he's, what he says about how, how we are to be in these relationships and, and not to let our pride get in the way. And to realize um, that there's difficulty on both sides of relationships. There's going, every relationship that we examine today, there's going to be two parts. Someone who's sort of a leader and someone who's more of a follower. There's difficulty in both of those roles. And there's responsibility in both of those roles. And these scriptures shouldn't be seen as just one-sided arguments. Where one person bears all of the weight. Although as we see... Perhaps one, one person usually bears a little more. Next slide, please. Can we read this together? Yeah? You can stay seated. Robin, we'll, we'll stay seated. That's okay. okay. Let's read together. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God as children. How many of you are parents? How many of you have watched your children do exactly what you do, for better or for worse? 
right? It's really cute sometimes. It's really terrifying sometimes. It's great when you see your kids mimicking you. My daughter wants to use a hammer just like me or something like that, or, but it's also terrifying when she says, you know, Daddy, I'll only love you if you let me use the iPad, right? And sometimes in that manipulation of relationship, that negotiating that goes on, we see ourselves, right? As parents, we, we tend to negotiate a little bit, and our kids pick that up. And in these verses, we are supposed to be imitating Christ. We're exhorted to imitate Christ in the relationships that we engage with, to be a fragrant offering, to be sacrificial in those relationships. We need to strive to follow Christ's example to walk in love. It's difficult. The good news is Christ wants us to succeed in this way. And he's willing in his part of our relationship to give us what we need in order to be successful. He's given us the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the right thing, even in difficult relationships. Let's go on to the next slide a little bit. Um, the next one is about this section that I'm just going to briefly go through about don't waste your life. Chapter 15 says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And as, some, as I was reading and studying for this, some commentators looked at that and said, it's, it's, there's this urgency. The days are evil. There's this urgency to do the right thing and to maximize the time. That was, that's one component to this section of Ephesians 5 is that we don't have time to do the wrong thing in relationships. We don't have time in this life to spend it telling dirty jokes or to be caught in an immoral situation with somebody else. As God's children, our inheritance, our purpose is well-defined. And it is to be in relationships of love. To be looking for those opportunities, not to waste time frivolously, but to engage in those opportunities and those relationships that, that God puts us into and to really take hold of those opportunities. To say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow your example. I'm going to, this difficult relationship that I'm in, I could my natural tendency is to take it this way, but I can see from your example that, that, that you have something better for me. Every family has a certain character. The family of God has a character in it. In our house, we use language like, in this family, we don't hit. Have you ever said that to your kids if you're a parent? Or... In this family, we forgive each other. And I see this passage in Ephesians as kind of Paul saying, in this family, we don't do these things, and instead, we do these things. We don't waste time, because the days are evil. There's an urgency. We don't waste time on all of these sinful things that divide us. We waste, or sorry, we spend time, we invest time into relationships that build up the body. We're called to be a fragrant offering to sacrificially serve as Christ has done for us, to praise 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to give thanks in everything, to live as children of light. That's what our family is supposed to be like. All right, now it's time to get your bulletin out class. Are you ready? Pencils at the ready. On the back, there's a diagram. What's it a diagram of? A head and a body. Right. This is an idea that Paul talks about a lot. He likes to use this, this metaphor. What's a metaphor? Who can tell me what a metaphor is? Raise your hand and I'll call on you. Yes, right here in front. Okay, there's somebody who's an English teacher right there, or, or should have been. Um, it's, it's a way of symbolizing something with something else so that you can understand something about that first thing. And so when we talk about our relationships that we should have, one of the metaphors that Paul uses quite a bit is this metaphor of a head and a body. And the idea behind a metaphor is that the thing you're comparing this complicated thing that you're trying to explain, the other thing that is the metaphor should be something that your audience has a lot of experience with. Jesus talked about, he said, I am the good shepherd. He's not saying that he literally walks around with sheep or that we are literally sheep. We are figuratively sheep. And, but the people at, of his time would have known a lot about what a good shepherd looks like and what a bad shepherd looks like. They understood the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. And so when Jesus said that, they said, oh, that makes sense. And so Paul uses a metaphor that we all have a lot of familiarity with. Just checking. Yeah, you all have a head. Just checking really quick. And you all have a body. And you understand the relationship between the two. And so Paul chooses a metaphor that we can dig into and understand. He also does this thing that there's a, a more recent word in our vernacular called a mashup. Do you know what a mashup is in pop culture? A mashup is when you take like different songs and you push them together and you mash it up and somehow it makes something new or something understandable, something interesting. Well, Paul does a mashup. He does a mashup of the head and the body with Christ and the church, and he keeps weaving back and forth between those two ideas. And the Christ and the church, he says, is like a head and a body, so that's the ultimate example, but he goes back and forth between the two. And if you continue to think, oh, Paul is thinking about head and body and Christ and church, as you read through all the rest of these two chapters, it all starts to fit into place and make sense. Even when he seems to not be talking about that and he's talking about something controversial, you take it back to that metaphor and it starts to make sense. And Paul really likes this head-body metaphor. In 1 Corinthians 12, he said, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Colossians 1, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 1.22, earlier in this same book, he said, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. See how he's 
weaving those two things together, mashing it up a little bit, interchanging, to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So think about that relationship between your head and your body. Which one controls the other one? Which one has the job of protecting the other one? Hmm. That might be a little harder question. Which one is wise? Which one obeys the other? Think about that relationship between your head and your body. You can start to think about what Christ is saying, or what Paul is saying about Christ and the church, what he's saying about us and others. Next slide. We'll fill that, start filling that in in a second. And the other part of the mashup is Christ and the body, Christ and us. What has he done for us? Because somehow that is supposed to be instructive of how our relationships with others are going to be as well. What has Christ done for us? Who can, who can somebody else raise a hand? What's something he's done for us right here? He gave his life for us. Anybody else? How is he to us? Maybe you can describe it. John Wolfe, you look back there comfortable not raising your hand. Tell me something. He loves us. Sacrificially. Another one. Ultimate teacher. Exactly. Because he's wise, right? And he want, he shares that with us. Yeah. He's a provider. Protector. Gives us ideas that protect us if we will actually buy into those. Right? The, the, the laws in the Bible are not meant to just place limitations for limitations' sake. That wisdom is there to guide us in relationships for our own health and happiness and for his purposes. Next slide. There's this idea that sometimes we are called to be like him. We already read that we're supposed to imitate Christ, imitate God. Um, that's difficult, especially knowing the things he has done, to think that we could have any chance of imitating him. In Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are supposed to be growing up into the head. We are the body, but we are supposed to be emulating him growing as Christians, becoming mature, becoming more Christ-like. Growing up into him, in, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's this mashup again. Head, body, Christ, the church. So there's this idea that there are times when we have to emulate him and be like the head. Imitating Christ means we often find ourselves in the role of the head in relationship to others. And I, 
I want to stop for just a second and deal with something a little bit controversial. We can go to the next slide. Um, this is where I think a lot of people get into trouble with these verses. They think that headship equals superiority somehow. That if, if, you are some, if you are in a relationship where you occupy that position, that it, it somehow makes you superior. But let's look at another example of a relationship like this. God the Father, God the Son. Christ had to submit himself. He had to put himself in more of a body position, submitting to the head. And yet, would we say that Christ is inferior to God at that time? Not at all. And so let's put that aside and not make assumptions that if in a relationship it's described as head and body, that one is superior to the other. Let's put that idea aside for the day. Next slide. All right, get your pencils ready again. Now it's actually time to start using them. Let's think about this metaphor. It says Christ is the head, we are the body. We've been thinking already about what Christ has done for us, what that looks like. And I'm going to give you a list of words that I'd like you to write in. I've given you the first letters already. That's called scaffolding in teacher language, where you give little clues to help the slower ones along. Not saying anything about all of you. Um, what do you think the L is for? Love. Good job. Well done. Who said that? Was that James Shen? Good job. Big star for you. The A. Authority. Authority. Christ has authority over us. F. Guesses? What does he provide to us on a regular basis? We really need it. How about, how about for, forgiveness? <laughs> I need it maybe more than the rest of you. It, it rolls off the tongue so easily for me. P. He's protective in the same way that parents are protective. In the same way that the head makes choices, hopefully, to be protective of the body. W, we said he's the greatest teacher. He's wise. He has a lot of wisdom to share with us. And I would also just add on that the greater responsibility in the relationship between the head and the body or whoever it is we're talking about lies here. Christ did everything first. Christ didn't come and be this way to us as a response to who we are. He does it because that's who he is. So if you find yourself in the head position in any relationship that you're in, it's on you to get it started. If we are to imitate Christ, we have to realize that the head side is where the initiative lies and the greater responsibility lies. Next slide. Can we see the next one? There it is. Continuing with the body, now let's think about the response. And we can think about our response to Christ. What do you think the L is? Love, exactly. We can respond in exactly the same way. Making choices in love. H, honor. Let's put honor there. 
T, we talked about it already today. Thanksgiving, thankfulness. That's our response to what Christ has done for us. I put a V in here because I, I, I would have used another T, but then that gets confusing. So I put a V in, which I think is related to the T. V is vulnerability. It's okay for us to be vulnerable in our relationship with Christ because we trust him. That's where the other T finally comes in. Vulnerability. And O, obey, obedience, right? So this is the model for the relationship. You can look at both sides now. What do we say is the ultimate example? Next line down, ultimate example of head, body. Yeah, exactly. So you can fill that one in as well. And let's look at this. Let's actually look at this and see if it makes sense as we compare the things on the two sides of this now. Head, body, love, love. Okay, it's a love relationship, the cords that bind us together. Right? There it is. Authority, honor. We can honor authority. When we have forgiveness, we are thankful. When we're given protection, we can, we're free to be vulnerable. When somebody has a lot of wisdom, it's a lot easier to give obedience in that situation, right? So that's what the relationship looks like. And let's dig in now. I need to start going a little faster, I can see. But let's dig into some of the examples. Can we go to the next slide? So these are the examples that Paul gives us. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. He picked three really hard relationships. He didn't, he didn't choose like the master of the boat and somebody else on the boat, you know, two fishermen that try to get along or something like that that would have fit the times. He picked hard relationships, hard relationships where there's actually so many opportunities for it to go wrong. And as we think about, in our, even in our world today, where are the most painful relationships? Where are the biggest opportunities for abuse? That's it, right there. Those three relationships still describe some of the potentially most harmful kinds of relationships. And yet, so he pulls these out and he says, but instead, be like this. And he starts giving some really great examples. Let's look at the next slide. Husbands and wives. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in everything to their husbands. Okay. So where, where is the wife in this, head or body? In what's being described, body. And you can look at what that looks like by looking at those five words that we talked about. Next slide. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. If you didn't understand that Christ is talking about a metaphor here, you'd might, you might think this, this is a weird, out-of-context sort of statement, right? right? Just, you know, I'm all that. I love my body, and so I should love my wife. That guy. No, that's weird, right? That's just creepy, almost. Um, but because it's a metaphor, it's, it, he's saying, husbands, you're like the head, your love for your wife should be protective, forgiving, all of these things on that, on that side of the diagram. He tells us what it should be like. 
And I would say again, the greater responsibility lies on the husbands. Our wives are, are hoping for us to be forgiving, confident, wise, strong, protective, just like Christ is to us. If we actually are like that, then there's no need to demand the submission or to require it somehow in a difficult circumstance. It's given freely if we're actually following Christ's example well. Many try to twist these verses and say that this, saying that the Bible teaches us, teaches us to have males be dominating over their wives. And it's not that at all. There is no superior, inferior here. It's just Christ saying, this is how it is. This is how real life is. And if you want to have a healthy, happy relationship, follow my advice. Let's go to the next slide. Parents and children. Let's read these together. Let's, we can skip the verse references. Let's just start off. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, parents take the initiative in the head role in this metaphor. If we are provoking our children to anger, it comes because we're, we're not doing those things. We're not being protective. Or maybe we're being overprotective. Maybe we're, being, we're, we're tightening things up too much. There's kind of a, a fine line that you walk with kids. But the idea is to be to our kids the way Christ is to us. As, a, as an educator, I see this go wrong so many times. Parents who beat their children, and their children are so angry about it, they come to me asking for help. So I'll intervene on their behalf, and parents will come and say, but that's just, that's all we know. That's how our parents did it for us. It's like, but there's a better way. Let's talk through some different options for you as a parent. Right? There's a better way to have these relationships. In our Bible study the other night, we were talking about these same verses, and it, it, we talked about the difference between um, when you get older. I, th I, th I think Paul was really talking about children, like kids. Not, not me. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm still a son. But I don't, I'm not called necessarily to obey my father, my dad. That one, yes. The one in Washington State, I, I honor him, but I don't necessarily have to obey him. And at some point in that relationship, it might actually flip. Have you ever thought about that? I, I may actually have to take the head position in that relationship, and he may need to obey me when he gets old. He's losing his eyesight. My mom has to drive him around, so he's having to submit to my mom a little bit these days, right? Sometimes we find ourselves in the head position. Sometimes we find ourselves in the body position. Next slide. Slaves and masters. Now, this is one that we would think, oh, that's such an old concept. Well, no, there's actually more slaves in the world today than there have ever been. And I would say that virtually none of those relationships have much hope of looking anything like what Paul was describing. Clearly, the slave-master relationship at that time must have been a little bit different 
or at least had the potential to be a little bit different. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Masters, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is master, who is their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. It's like, masters, watch out, because there's another master who's over both of you, and he doesn't see much difference between the two of you, right? This is actually sort of a big verse on equality. People have said, oh, see, the Bible is endorsing slavery. No, the Bible is actually endorsing equality here, because compared to Christ, we're all down here somewhere, right? And we need to recognize that. Next slide. Can you think of other relationships where you might need to emulate the head or the body? There's actually a place on your sheet where you could write some in. Teacher and student. Who else? Let's get somebody else who hasn't given an answer. Don't let her get all the stars today. Sorry? A boss and a worker. Anything else? Any other ideas? coach and an athlete. You can think of corporate examples, military examples, a band leader and the band members. There's so many different things that we can think about. And Christ is saying, in the church, the relationship between people who are leaders and people who are followers should look like this. It shouldn't be a superior, inferior thing. It should be a loving relationship with these kinds of characteristics. And he models that for us and gives us these examples to work with. Next slide. All right, let's see how you did today. If you have any gaps, here's your chance to fill them in. Love, authority, forgiveness, protection, and wisdom. That's how Christ is to us. And we are called to be that way to others when we're in the head position in a relationship. Love, honor, thankfulness, vulnerability, obedience. That's how the church is is supposed to be to Christ, and that's how we are supposed to be to others within the church when we find ourselves in the body side of a relationship as a follower. So I'm out of time. I'm not going not gonna to go into the armor of God section today, but it's interesting to me. I never put it together. What do you put armor on? The body. So he actually even continues the metaphor right into the next section, thinking about what do you put the armor on. Next slide. That might seem like an interesting picture to end with. And how, did that, how does that question and that picture go together Maybe. Maybe. All good ideas. Right, that word right can be an, an adjective or it can be a verb. What does it mean to right a ship? Bring it back into alignment, right? Get it, get it floating straight and operating correctly again. 
So today, as we think about our relationships and what is right, we have a model. Christ has modeled that for us, what a right relationship should look like. But the question to us is, which relationships do we need to right? And I'll leave you with that today. Perhaps you already know in your head which relationships are not quite right. I did a survey of my staff a couple weeks ago. I got some feedback from them. There are a few people in my staff that think that I'm cold and distant and impersonal and don't spend enough time with them. Mm. Hard to hear, but those are some relationships that I need to work at, that I need to write. I need to be more Christ-like to those people. Right? So perhaps you can think about that as well. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for giving us your Son. As our Savior, and as our Lord, and as our great example of how we should be. Help us to follow his example. When we are put into leadership positions, whether it's our family or somewhere else, help us to be Christ-like and to realize that we have a responsibility to be like Christ in our relationships. When we find ourselves in those follower positions in relationships, help us to be graceful, to submit to each other in love, to not get hung up on who's right and who's wrong or who's superior or who's inferior, but to realize that we all have to occupy both of those positions at different times. And we, your intention is for us to do that gracefully and happily as a unified and mature body of Christ. Thank you for this wonderful, instructive text that we've been able to dig into today. In Jesus' name.